This is the Ipsy SDA Media Network. God created man for his own glory, that after test and trial, the human family might become one with the heavenly family. It was God's purpose to repopulate heaven with the human family if they would show themselves obedient to his every word. Conflict and Courage, page 21, paragraph 5. God is good. We're few in number, but we don't have to be few in energy. God is good. Uh And all the time, a happy Sabbath to all of you and to those of you connecting with us via internet, Facebook, YouTube, however you're in contact with us, we welcome you. And we know that the Lord will bless you wherever you are as surely as he will bless us in this sacred building. We are in the third year of this pandemic, and we thank God for having brought us thus far. We don't thank him for the pandemic, but we thank him for having brought us thus far. And we believe he will take us further if we hold on to him and make him our strength, our light, and our wisdom. Is there anyone with us today who is not a Seventh-day Adventist? May I see your hand? Any visitor, you're not a Seventh-day Adventist, may your hand, all right? Perhaps there is a visitor online, and if that's the case, thank you very much for connecting with us, and may the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob bless your life beyond your imagination. Our subject for today, the center of attention. What did I say? The center of attention. Before I go any further, let me set the example and turn off my phone. So that it does not ring embarrassingly. It is off. If you don't need this as a Bible, please do the same thing so we may preserve reverence in the house of God. God, When God called Moses up to the mount in Exodus 34, God told Moses, There shall no man come up with thee, neither let any man be found in any part of this mountain. Let not the flocks nor the herds grace close to this mountain. Only you, any man, any animal that came to that mountain while God was with Moses, that living thing would have been struck dead immediately. God loves us, but he does not play. Favor number two, while I'm speaking, pray for me and say, Lord, put your words in that man's mouth. Jeremiah chapter one, verse nine, then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said unto me, Behold, I have put my words in thy mouth. And that's what I want. And favor number three, think as you listen. It is not as automatic as you may suspect. Thinking must be a conscious thing we do. It takes energy. It takes work. It can be exhausting. But think and the spirit of truth will guide that thinking and inevitably guide us into truth. Our subject, the center of attention. It's 1136. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we thank you so much for the gift of life. We thank you, dear God, that despite the trials and tribulations of daily living, we can still come to you, dear Father, and be assured of a full welcome. As we bow in your presence, if we have sinned against you, forgive us, we pray, particularly me, because it is my heavy burden to deliver the words of life. Grant to me your spirit, dear God, that he may put the ideas in my mind, put your words in my mouth, and the humility of Christ in my heart. Bless those who are listening online. If anyone listening is not a Seventh-day Adventist, grant that person a special blessing. 
Wherever your people are assembling now around this world, be with them, dear God, and grant them an assurance of your presence. Now, dear God, speak through me for your glory first and for the blessing of your people. Bless this nation, dear God. Be with the leaders. Remind them that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men. Remind them, dear God, that righteousness exalteth the nation. And remind us that righteousness also exalts the individual. Hear this humble prayer. I offer it in Jesus' name. Let God's people say with me, Amen and Amen. The center of attention, Romans chapter 5, reading verse 12. Romans 5, reading verse 12. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. We read that verse again. Wherefore, as by one man sin did what? Entered where? Into the world. But we know that sin existed before the world was made. Consequently, the entrance of sin which we read about in verse 12 of Romans 5 relates to this world. But there was sin in the universe before there was sin on this earth because the earth had not yet been made. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 3 verse 8, He that committeth sin is of the devil. For the devil sinneth from the beginning. That's before Adam and Eve were made, Satan existed. John chapter 8 verse 44. Jesus told his listeners, Ye are of your father the devil, and the lust of your father you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning. He violated commandment 6, Thou shalt not kill. While he did not succeed in killing Christ, in God's view, murder is not just a physical act, it is the state of mind. And his enmity towards Christ amounted to murder. And so Jesus says he was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of himself, for he is a liar and the father of it. He was a murderer from the beginning, commandment 6. He was a liar from the beginning, commandment 9, thou shalt not bear false witness. Sin existed before this world was made. Now, sin in heaven and sin on earth are the same thing. Because biblically, there is only one way to sin, and that is how. Violation of the law of God. First John chapter 3 verse 4, Whosoever or he that committeth sin transgresseth also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. Now we know from Psalm 103 verse 20, Bless the Lord, ye his angels that excel in strength, that do his commandments, hearkening unto the voice of his word, or thy word. Which means the law of God in heaven is the law of God on earth. That is why we say, our Father, which art in heaven, come on, say it with me, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, now very carefully, thy will be done in earth, how? As it is in heaven, and the will of God is his law. We are to obey God's law on earth as it is obeyed in heaven, because God has one standard of conduct. It applies above 
and it applies beneath. The way we sin on earth is the way sin occurred in heaven, the violation of God's law. If that is clear, say amen. Our subject, the center of attention. There is one remedy for sin. Put a name to that remedy. Christ on earth and in the universe. Let me say differently. Whatever prevents sin on earth presents, prevents sin in heaven. Let me try to say differently. You're nodding politely. I'm not sure you got it. And if you didn't, it's my fault. Let me try again. The cross of Christ secures not only this earth, but the entire universe. Which means the entire universe was under the threat that sin brought. And when I say the entire universe, I mean those on unfallen worlds and the angels. The center of attention. Let's discover something else about sin and the plan of salvation. Go to Romans chapter 3. We read from verse 10. And I can't wait long for you to find these passages. I may delay you too long. It's already almost quarter to 12. What book did I say? What chapter? 3. Reading from what verse? 10. Do you have that? Let me pray again. Father, as I continue my meager effort to represent you aright, empower me through the spirit of truth. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. Read with me. But as it is written... There's none that, there's none that's right, there's none righteous, nor not one. There's none that understandeth. There's none that seeketh after God. Stop. Listen to verse 11. There is none that understandeth. The plan of salvation is so deep that when the Bible says there's none that understandeth, it includes angels. Are you with me? It includes angels. Now, let's get a hint of this in 1 Peter chapter 1, reading from verse 9. We'll read 9 to 11. 1 Peter 1, reading from 9 to 11, our subject, the center of attention. Do you have 1 Peter 1, verse 9? If you have my version, you may read with me. Receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls... Of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently who prophesied of the grace which had come unto you. The Old Testament prophets who wrote, name some of them, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Joel, Jonah, Micah, you name them. As they wrote, they were trying to understand what they were writing. Verse 11. Searching what or what manner of time the spirit of Christ which was in them did signify when it testified beforehand the suffering of Christ and the glory that should follow. They wrote and they could not understand fully what they were writing, but they knew that God would come to this earth. They wished they could have been alive when God walked this earth in the form of Jesus Christ. And they tried to understand. They couldn't. Verse 12, unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves, but unto us, they did minister the things which are now reported unto you. Now, somehow they were told, this is not really for you. This is folks in Ipsy. 
Are you with me? And Detroit. And of course, and L.A., Boston. Mm. People to come thousands of years after you. They could not understand. Now, let's finish verse 12. And to whom it was revealed that not unto themselves, but unto us they did minister the things which are now reported unto you by the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven. Finish the verse. Which things the angels do what? Desire to look into. And this is the last part of that verse that is my focus. Which things the angels desire to look into. What things? The plan of salvation. The word desire, the Greek word, is the same Greek word for covet. And Jesus said in Matthew 5, 27, Ye have heard that it was said by them of all time, Thou shalt not commit adultery, verse 28, But I say unto you, that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her, he hath committed adultery with already in his heart. The word lust, the word desire, is the same word for the angels desiring. They have this tremendous urge to understand. So when the Bible says, which things the angels desire to look into. Now the Greek word look into means to stoop down. Which is what Peter did when he came to the tomb of Christ. In John 20, I believe it is, uh, verse 5. He stooped down and looked in, get a close look. The angels are depicted as looking closely and in their minds coming as close as they can to understand how God can save a sinner and still be righteous. They don't understand fully. This was depicted long time ago in the construction of the sanctuary. Go to Exodus 25. Can you guess what verse I'll begin with? Any Adventist who can guess what verse in Exodus 25, verse 8, which says what? And let them make me a sanctuary, yes, that I may dwell among them. That's where we usually begin our sanctuary studies. All right. Now, God tells Moses, And they shall make a sh an ark of shittim wood, verse 10. Two cubits and a half shall be the length thereof, and a cubit and a half the breadth thereof, and a cubit and a half the height thereof. And thou shalt overlay it with pure gold. Within and without shalt thou overlay it, and shalt make upon it a crown of gold round about. Verses 10 and 11, God is giving Moses instructions. Now, go to verse 7. Notice this is the first article of furniture about which God gives architectural details. Verse 17, and thou shalt make a mercy seat of pure gold. Two cubits and a half shall be the length thereof, and a cubit and a half the breadth thereof. That's the mercy seat. Functioning as God's throne. That's where he sits. According to Psalm 99 verse 1, who sitteth between the cherubims. Now, verse 18, and thou shalt make what? Two cherubims of gold, of beaten work shalt thou make them in the two ends of the mercy seat. And make one cherub on the one end, and the other cherub on the other end, even of the mercy seat shall you make the cherubs on the two ends thereof. Now, we need to read verse 19 again, and verse 18. Verse 18 says, of beaten work shalt thou make them. In other words, take one piece of gold and hammer out the mercy seat. Out of the same piece of gold, hammer out the cherubims. Are you with me? Not another piece, the same piece. Now that piece functions as the place where God sits. 
Verse 20, And the cherubim shall stretch forth their wings on high, covering the mercy seat with their wings. And their faces shall look one to another, even to the word the mercy seat shall the faces of the cherubim be. What does this mean? I can stand face to face with Medus, but not looking at her or she at me. I can be looking, she can be looking at my shoes and say, well, your shoes are not polished, but we're facing each other. The two cherubims were facing each other. Excuse me, but looking down. Not looking at each other, looking down. Looking down at what? Justice and mercy. The law in the ark and the mercy seat above. How do those things walk hand in hand? It made little sense to them because they are finite. And so they face us over to mercy seat. Toward the mercy seat shall the faces of the cherubim. I don't know why I want to sneeze, forgive me. Shall the faces of the cherubim be? Now listen to verse 25. The verse 21, 22, sorry, of Exodus 25, verse 22. And there I will do what? Meet with thee, and I will commune with thee from where? From above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubims which are upon the ark of the testimony. Finish that verse. Of all things which I will give thee in commandment unto the children of Israel. This is the source from which I say everything. In other words, God says, whatever I say, it comes with the authority of my throne. Are you following me? If I say, remember the Sabbath day, it came from the throne room of God. If I say, thou shalt not kill, it came from the throne. Everything I say, even though I may be physically located elsewhere, when I speak, the authority is the throne of God. Okay. We know from Exodus chapter 20 and from verse 1, which I call the preamble to the Ten Commandments, and our constitution has a preamble, God's constitution has one. And God spake all these words, saying, I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. That's what God said, all the way down to verse 17, which concludes the Ten Commandments. Now, the commandments were not spoken by the piece of stone on which they were written. The commandments were not spoken by ink. They were not spoken by a piece of paper. The commandments were spoken by somebody. Are you following me? By someone, and according to the Bible, out of the abundance of the, the mouth, speak it. This applies to God. Hmm. When someone hurts you, do you say, he hurt me to my ankles? He hurt me to my spleen? Where does he hurt you? To my heart. Mm -hmm. When you have a breakup with whomever, does a person break your ribs? Your skull. What does the person break? Your heart. When we disobey what came from the heart of God, we break, finish my words, the heart of God. Which means sin is not first and foremost violation against a few words written on paper. Sin is a crime against divinity. We've heard of crimes against humanity. We're trying to, well, not we, but, well, I guess we, nationally, trying to put Putin in that category. Uh, war criminal, crime against humanity. Sin is a crime against divinity. When David sinned with Bathsheba, 
And he confessed, he said, against thee, the only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. When Joseph was tempted and refused, he said, how can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Sin is a personal offense against a personal God. So that when we think of sin, our first thought ought not to be what sin does to me. Finish my words. What sin does to God. What's our subject? In the plan of salvation, the center of attention is not me. And with great respect, it's not you. Who is it? Jesus or God. Mm-hmm. The focus of salvation, the center of salvation, the ultimate aim of salvation has to do with God, not me. Now, I am honored by God that he uses us in that process. But it's first and foremost about God. In uh, Signs of the Times, April 25, 1892, paragraph 1, we read these words. Therefore, redemption was not an afterthought. Not a rule formulated after the fall of Adam, but an eternal purpose to be wrought out for the good, for the blessing, not only of this atom of a world, but for the good of all the worlds which God has created. Notice her language. She calls this earth, what? An atom. She said, this tremendous plan of salvation was not simply for this atom of a world, because sin affected the universe, not just the world. And when sin occurred in heaven, the world had not been created. Adam did not live, nor Eve, nothing of the kind, but God had been affected. So it's not just for this atom of a world, but we think and act and behave as if we are the center of the plan of salvation. No, the center of attention is Jesus Christ representing the Father. Adventists present, they study the Bible under a, a covering, a perspective. It's called the great controversy. No other church does that. I'm not trying to put us above anybody else. I'm simply saying we have a distinct approach to Bible study. It is called the great controversy. And it tells us everything that happens, happens because of this struggle. Every time I make a decision, the decision falls on one side or the other of this great controversy. And the controversy must have two to be a controversy at least. And the two sides are personified by Christ and Satan. We know if the law reflects the character of God, which it does, Satan was a liar from the beginning. Which means he lied Finish my words. Against God. He lied against God. Because God is truth. Are you following me? He is truth. Deuteronomy 32 verse 4, God is truth. John 14 6, Jesus says I'm the truth. 1 John 5 verse 6, the Holy Spirit is truth. The heavenly family is truth. Lies contradict truth. The lie that Satan initiated was an attack upon the character of God. And the character of God is precisely expressed in his law. 
Now, this lie affected perfect angels. Let me pray again. Father, as I continue, I ask you to restrain me, particularly my carnal nature, that I may stand only for your glory. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. This lie affected unfallen angels. We discovered they tried to understand a plan of salvation because they're not infinite. They're created. Anything created is limited. Only God is limitless. And so the angels were deceived. Revelation 12 verse 9. And the great dragon was cast out. That old serpent called the devil and Satan. Which deceiveth the whole world. Who also deceived a major section of heaven. He was cast out into the earth. And his angels were cast out with him. The angels were deceived. Now, those who followed Satan were cast out. But those who remained still did not have everything clear in their minds. <laughs> I'm going to give you a quotation you'll find astonishing. Bible Commentary, Volume 7, page 1149, paragraph 10. Bible Commentary, Volume 7, page 1149, paragraph 10. Listen to this. The this is, she's commenting on uh, what happened at the cross and how the angels reacted. She says, The angels were horror-stricken that one who had been of their number, who is that? Satan, mm -hmm. could fall so low as to be capable of such cruelty. Listen carefully. Every sentiment of sympathy and pity which they had ever felt for Satan in his exile were quenched in their hearts. Now, this is 4,000 years after Adam sinned. Imagine the thousands before Adam sinned because God bore long with Lucifer. In all that time, there were angels in heaven, unfallen, sympathetic to Lucifer. Now, if angels could be misled that way, no, they didn't sin, but it was just they never fully saw. They never fully saw. Despite 4,000 years on this earth of Satan's mischief, they were still sympathetic. This man had not been fairly treated. Then who treated him badly? God. <laughs> so there was a question in the minds of the angels for thousands of years. And the question had to do with, did God treat Satan fairly? So there was a cloud over God. That cloud has to be removed. The center of attention is not me. It is God. It is Jesus Christ. Go to the most popular chapter in the Bible. What chapter do you think that is? The most beloved. Psalm 23. Say it with me. Now say it carefully. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Stop. Let's finish verse 3. He restoreth my soul. The last part of verse 3 now. He leadeth me, come on, in the paths of righteousness. Why? For his name's sake. Now, what is the paths of righteousness? 
Go to Psalm 119. Psalm 119. <clears throat> it's 12 o'clock. Do you have Psalm 119? Psalm. Let's read verse 1, the very first verse of that psalm. That psalm is interesting, Psalm. Long and interesting. Do you have verse 1? Read with me. Blessed are who? The undefiled in the way, finish the verse, who walk how? In the law of the Lord. The undefiled who walk in the law of the Lord. Now, what are the paths of righteousness? The law of God. Because this is the whole duty of man. Now, he leadeth me in the paths of righteousness. Let's ask the question, why does he have to lead me? I can't lead myself in right doing. The natural capacity to be righteous does not exist in a sinner. Only God can do that through the indwelling power of Jesus Christ. That's what Paul can say. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And so the Bible tells us he leadeth me in the paths of righteousness. What's the ultimate purpose? For his name's sake. Which means when we obey, finish my word, God looks good. If that's what you said. <laughs> when we obey, come on, talk to me. God looks good. Go to Psalm 25. Psalm 25, our subject, the center of attention. Do you have that? Psalm 25. Let's read verse 11. Some of you still looking? Psalm 25, verse 11, read nice and loud. For thy name's sake, O Lord, do what? Pardon mine iniquity. Why? For it is great now. When God pardons, he looks good. How can a just God pardon these crimes we commit? For thy name's sake. How can you pray, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do? How can Stephen pray, Lord, lay not this sin to the charge? How? God looks good. Go to Psalm 130, 130, Psalm 130. Do you have it? Not yet. Out of the depth have I cried unto thee, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice, and let thine ears be attempted to the voice of my supplication. If thou, Lord, shouldst mark iniquity, O Lord, who shall stand? Read the next verse. But there is forgiveness with thee, come on, that thou mayst be feared. When we see what God is willing to forgive, it causes us to view God with awe. Because that's not how we forgive. God's forgiveness is ultimately that he might look good. God leads us into obedience with our cooperation, of course. Ultimately, he looks good. Now listen to these words, the Signs of the Times, uh, September 24, 1894, paragraph 4. Signs of the Times, September 24, 1894, paragraph 4. It is the prerogative of God alone to prescribe the duty of men and angels. The law of God 
The will of God is a perfect will and must be obeyed as it is set forth in his holy law. That's the will of God. Because every requirement is just and is set forth by infinite wisdom. The law of God should be obeyed even though there were no authority to enforce it and no rewards for its obedience. The highest interests of men and angels are conserved in obeying the law of God. God's will expressed in his law is the supreme will, and no invention, no device of men can take its place. Now listen carefully. Obedience to the commandments of men instead of to the commandments of God will be as abomination in the sight of God. For what God requires, and what does God require? The Ten Commandments, the whole duty of man. For what God requires is essential to the highest good of his subjects and is therefore essential. Can someone finish that? For the glory of God. Our obedience, its ultimate outcome is the glory of God because God was charged with being unfair. Satan charged God with having a law that could not be kept. That's the original charge. You have a law, and he tried to prove it by getting Adam and Eve to sin, and to some degree, where he succeeded to some degree. See, your law cannot be kept, but of course we know the law can be kept. When you and I obey God, God is able to say to Satan, See, see what? My law can be kept. The focus of the plan of salvation is not me it is God because God has had a cloud over his name for thousands and thousands of years and he has recruited us to assist him in this drawn out plan called the great controversy to clear the name of God Romans 3, verse 24. What is that verse? Romans 2, sorry. Verse 24. Let's go there. Romans 2, verse 24. Do you have that? Romans chapter 2. Do you have that? What does that say? For the name of God is blasphemed. Where? Among the Janet. Why? Through you. It is not the unbeliever that gives God a bad name. Are you with me? It is not the, 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 the rapist and the drunkard and the ladies of the night. It is the believers. Now, if the believers give God a bad name, when they surrender entirely to Christ, they can then be used to do what? Give God a good name. How? By living an entirely opposite life. Our obedience, its ultimate purpose is to glorify God. Go to Philippians chapter 2. Eight minutes after 12. Philippians chapter 2, our subject, the center of attention. You have Philippians 2. Let's read from verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, 
who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of man. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Now pick it up with me. What does the next verse say? Wherefore God hath what? Also exalted him, and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. Now you read the next verse 11. And that every tongue should confess, come on, that Jesus Christ is Lord. Why? To the glory of God the Father. Now this will occur when the wicked are finally, just before they're wiped out at the end of the thousand years, just before they're wiped out, the last voice to acknowledge Christ as Lord. Tell me, Satan. Every Now, you and I have already done that. Are you following me? By having given our lives to Christ, every wicked person will finally confess God was right. When you confess it at the end of the thousand years, it's too late. It has no benefits. The glory of God is the ultimate purpose of the plan of salvation. Listen to a verse you know very well. Whether therefore ye eat or drink, come on, or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. But what is the glory of God? Go to Second Corinthians 3, let's read verse 18. And I won't be much longer. Second Corinthians 3. Verse 18. Do you have that? Read with me. But we all with open face, beholding as in the glass, what? The glory of the Lord. Stop. Now let's reason. Think. Listen to the verse again. But we all with open face, beholding as in the glass, beholding what? The, but God told Moses, they shall no man see my face and live. So that cannot mean looking at the face of God. I said that too quickly. Let me back up. When God said, I beseech thee, show me thy glory, Exodus 33, verse 18, God told him, verse 20, there shall no man see my face and live. So when we read in 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18, beholding the glory of the Lord, we're not talking about looking at God directly in his face. You cannot do that. But the verse explains itself. Beholding the glory of the Lord are changed into what? Ah... The same image. Image is a synonym for glory. In other words, tall is a synonym for lanky. Are you, are you following me? Good looking is a synonym for attractive. In other words, image and glory in that verse mean what? The same thing. The glory of God is the image of God or the character of God. Now, God's amazing grace, page 322, paragraph 2, the glory of God is is his character now keep this in mind and listen to first thessalonians uh, corinthians ten thirty one. whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do do all to the glory or to represent the character of god because god is the final and the highest purpose it is the outcome it is the end. It is the fulfillment, the glory of God of this entire plan of salvation. Not me. But when we change positions with God in our own minds, 
what did I say? In our own mind. And we make ourselves the focus, then we get mad with God. I asked God to do this, he didn't do it. I am mad with God. I told him to do this and he didn't do it. And we were, people are just getting mad with God. Why? Because they're sitting in the wrong pew. They should be sitting right over there and God right here. But when they sit here and God's over there, then they tell God, would you get me a cup of water? Would you go out and get me some tissue? Would you? That's what we do. So we get angry with God. Why? He did not do what I said. Salvation is not first and foremost about you or me, and I speak with great respect. It has to do with the glory of God. Now, let's go to Isaiah 43 quickly. Let's read 6 and 7. Let's really put the cap on this presentation, the center of attention. Isaiah 43, 6 and 7. Do you have that? Read with me. I will say to the north, what? Give up to the south? Keep not back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from where? The ends of the earth. Even everyone that is called by my name. In verse 7 now. Now read from there. What does that say? For I have done what? Created him. Come on. For my glory, not for his To put it more bluntly, you and I are not on this earth for ourselves. <laughs> We're on this earth for God. We must demonstrate that when we eat. We must demonstrate that when we dress. We must demonstrate that when we get out of a car to check on the guy who just rammed into the back of our car. Are you following me? We must demonstrate that when the IRS tells us you're going to be audited. We must demonstrate that when the government says do this or that and we don't like it, but it does not violate the Ten Commandments. I have created him for my glory. What's our subject? Now, who's the center of attention? God. Because sin did not begin on the earth. Sin began in heaven and sin is a personal attack against God not even the angels did not fully understand what was going on how can we but through diligent study you and I can understand more clearly day by day as the Spirit of God enlightens our dark mind that God Jesus Christ search the scriptures for in them ye think ye have eternal life and they are they which testify of me and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. When God brought the Israel, before he brought them up, go to Ezekiel 20 quickly. I don't want to take you too long, but the Spirit just told me to say this. Ezekiel 20. See how serious God is about his glory. In Ezekiel 20, we read from verse 6. Oh, verse 7. Let me pray again. Father, I'm coming to the conclusion. Continue to speak through me, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Ezekiel chapter 20, verse 7, what does that say? Then I said unto them, what? Cast away every man the abomination of his eyes, and what? Defile not yourselves with the idols. Now he's telling them, get ready to come out of Egypt, but here's what you ought to do. 
casting away every man. In other words, the false gods they had. Remember, Rachel brought false gods from Laban. God's people always had false gods. It doesn't make it right. It simply shows us there are no examples for us. The example is Jesus. Verse 8, carefully now. But they rebelled against me. And would not hearken unto me. They did not every man cast away the abomination of his eye, their eyes. Neither did they forsake the idols of Egypt. Now finish verse 8. Then I said what? I will what? Pour out my fury upon them to accomplish my anger against them. Where? In, yeah. While they were still in Egypt, God wanted to destroy them. Not in chapter 32 when they worship the golden calf. That will come later. In before they left they were getting on God's nerves. But read verse 9 now. Come on, nice clearing the state. What does that say? But I wrought. Why? For my, I acted in the interest of my name. But I wrought from my name, keep reading, say that it what? Should not be polluted where? Among the heathen. Before the heathen among whom they were, in whose sight I made myself known unto them by bringing them forth out of the land of Egypt. Verse 10, wherefore I caused them to go forth out of the land of Egypt, and I brought them into the wilderness. Verse 11, and I gave them my statutes and shewed them my judgments, which if a man do, he shall live in them. Moreover also, I gave them my Sabbaths to be a sign between me and them that they might know that I am the Lord that has sanctified them. Now, they're out of Egypt. Let me slow down. You should have said slow down. You should have said that. You must help the preacher. Read verse 13 now. But the house of Israel rebelled against me where? In the wilderness. Where did they rebel in verse 8? In Egypt. <laughs> now they're in the wilderness. Where they rebel? In the wilderness. <laughs> ah, the Israelites were something else. And we're no different. Because we have more information. They didn't have Ellen White. They didn't have fulfilled prophecy. They didn't have the Old Testament prophets. They didn't have Paul and Peter. We have that. So we're worse. But the house of Israel rebelled against me in the wilderness. They walked not in my statutes and they did what? Despised my judgments and they did what? Which if a man do, he shall walk in them. And my Sabbaths they greatly polluted. Then I said, come on, finish 13. I would what? Pour out my fury upon them. Where? In the wilderness to consume them. Read verse 14. But I wrought. Why? For my namesake that it should not be polluted before the heathen in whose sight I brought them out. God, look, I can't afford to look bad. His highest thought was, how will I look? Now he loves them. Don't misunderstand me. But if I do this, how will I look? So he brought them out. You know, God spares us not because he gives us another day to sin, because it was contributing to how he looked. <laughs> when he was about to destroy them, go to Exodus 32 now with me. <clears throat> Excuse me, Exodus 32. <clears throat> Let's read from verse uh, 7. The Israelites now are worshiping the golden calf. It's 1290 and I release it by 1230. They sat down to eat and drink, rose up to play, verse 6. Now, verse 7 of Exodus 32. Are you there? And the Lord said unto Moses, what? Go, get thee down, for thy people, come on, which thou broughtest out of the land of Egypt, have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. They have made them a molten gaff, and have done what? 
Worship thereunto and worship it and sacrifice thereunto. And have said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which have brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said unto Moses, I have seen this people. Come on, finish the verse. And behold, it is a... Now, when God sees you, he sees everything. That's why David said, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me, no my... Because when I look, I see a saint. When God looks, <laughs> he holds his nose. Are you following me? And so, you know, God said, I have seen this people. And behold, come on. It is a stiff-necked people. Verse, next verse. Now, therefore, let me alone that my wrath may wax hot against them, and that I may what? Consume them, and I will make of thee a great name. Let me destroy them, God said. As if Moses was holding God back. God said, let me go, Moses. <laughs> you know, you hold back your friend from getting in a fight. He has no chance of winning. He said, let me go, says God. Let me kill them. Blessings upon you, Dr. Forbes. And Moses besought the Lord his God and said, Lord, why doth thy wrath wax hot against thy people, which thou hast brought forth out of the land of Egypt? Keep reading now. Wherefore should the Egyptians speak and say, come on, read with me. For mischief did he bring them out to slay them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth. Moses says, look, if you destroy them, ultimately you will look, come on bad the Egyptians will talk bad about you as we say they'll dog you God backed off because God will do everything to avoid looking bad remember Cain Genesis 4 and Cain said unto the Lord my punishment is greater than I can bear and God said okay okay I'll put a mark on you <laughs> so anyone seeing you won't kill you God is very concerned about how he looks. Because he is the center of attention. So that when I go to buy my clothes, wherever I go, Nordstrom's, Kmart, wherever, I ask the question, how will God look? If I walk out looking like this, how will God look? If I engage in that recreation or this, how will God look? Why? Because whether therefore he eat or drink or whatsoever he do, tell me, do all to the glory of God because the center of attention is not us, it is God. How many of you will say with me, Lord, help me in all that I do to keep your glory and your character in mind. Can I see your right hand? Uh, stand up with me. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you, dear God, for its clarity, its directness, its rebuking quality. We thank you for the spirit that made it clear. We thank you, Lord, for the constant availability of your forgiveness. And grace, dear God, to go forward. Forgive us, Father, where we have lived as though we were the center of attention. As though we were the reason for the gospel. Your character, your name, your glory, the God, you are the center of attention. Ultimately, everything is designed to clear your name, which has been smeared for thousands of years. And you have honored us by calling us to work through us to clear the dirt of your name by the way we live, but not to add dirt to it. Father, 
We thank you for Jesus who represents you. We thank you for those who, through the power of the Spirit, live victorious lives and therefore glorify you. Let this be our constant ambition, to glorify God in all that we do and say. Bless everyone who heard. Let decisions be made for a closer walk with you, I pray. Save us when you come, dear God. In Jesus' name, let God's people say, Amen and Amen. You may be seated.